Welcome to a special episode of the Sean Morgan Report with Jim Cutler. We are going to be discussing the pole shift topic, uh, you know, the idea that the magnetic uh, pole of Earth has shifted many times in the past and may shift again in the near future. So, Jim, what is it about this topic as far as the mainstream science versus uh, alternative narrative about it? Well, what's interesting about it is that it's coming at a time when our scientific community is already going into a different paradigm. Up till now, our cosmology of the universe in terms of what we see and what we believe in terms of how the universe was created and how it operates was called the Big Bang. And there was very little of any dissension at all on that concept. But now in the past, I'll say, um, you know, five decades, this whole younger set of scientists have come along and now they're saying, wait, the Big Bang is not correct and, and it's not making any sense anymore. You have to keep coming up with, with dark matter and all these other reasons why the Big Bang theory no longer holds water because mathematically it doesn't work and now that they've launched the web telescope they're going to see things that are far older than they say the universe is and that's just going to be the end of it right there so this whole new group of people these scientists who say they are in the electric universe camp they look at the universe a completely different way and everything that they talk about from the mathematics to the mechanics matches up. They don't have to invent dark energy. They don't have to invent all these bizarre string theory things to make it work because um, the electric universe theory already works and it, it works across the board. And so, as a matter of fact, even the sun does not work the way we've been told. We've always been told that it's it's a body that, that gets its energy from fusion within the core of the body. That's not true. And they've proven that not to be true. It is a plasma, um, a form of plasma energy that is, and when I say plasma, I'm not talking about fusion, um, which is another way of looking at the Big Bang Theory. I'm talking about electrical plasma. It's a little it's a different thing. And so they're able to recreate our sun in a laboratory. That's never been done before. But they've proven that their theories about how our sun works in terms of plasma theory can work perfectly well in the laboratory and they've built them and they've tested them, they've replicated them. And now there's a company um, that I'm aware of, there's probably more that are building these things for commercial use to produce power. So um, we're gonna start seeing these things more and more and more. And, and it's gonna lead, um, uh, give a lot of credence to this way of thinking and, um, and doing things with this in mind. Now. Now we also have this other thing happening, and that is that our magnetic poles <clears throat> are moving. First, they um, were becoming erratic, and now they're really starting to move. And this is where scientists now are having a great deal of difficulty talking about this subject without being forced to come up with some strange narratives mm -hmm. to mollify people's fears. And, you know, again, here uh, for us, truth is more important than how somebody is going to react to information. If it's real and it's truthful, then it honors people to bring that information forward. And so this is what I'm trying to do, as well as many other people who are in this um, area of research. So, and we can be honest about how we were unsure about why the magnetic poles are moving, but not only are they moving, but they're picking up speed. So back in the early 1900s, the North Poles, while they're moving, were moving very slowly. And they were averaging about nine miles an hour um, 
you know, uh, at that time, move forward. Nine, to, nine um, miles per, per year they were moving? Uh, nine miles per year, yes. So, so they would go, you take a measurement. Okay, it's right at this longitude and latitude. Now you measure a year later, they're at this longitude and latitude. Now, those, the magnetic pole, since about 2001 or so, has started accelerating. Now, it's up to 37 miles per hour per year. Per year. So, yeah. So that is a massive acceleration. And remember, we're talking about phenomena here that has been stable for hundreds of thousands of years. To see something go into that kind of an acceleration on a cosmic scale is absolutely unprecedented. This is not anything that has happened in human lifetimes at all. So this is completely new and unprecedented for the entire uh, planetary civilization. So now scientists are looking at that and going, okay, what is going on with things that is making the poles move so quickly? The other part, and this is the double whammy, is that as the um, magnetic poles move, and get out of their own alignment, the entire magnetic sphere around our globe weakens. And it's weakened now about 10%. So when we have a weaker magnetic field, more stuff comes into the earth that comes from the sun. Like if the sun has a solar flare, if you have a strong magnetic field, that material, which includes protons, electrons, and things like that, as well as actual solid matter, gets deflected around our, our magnetic field, our Earth. It goes around our Earth because it's it, um, it being repelled. However, now the ability of our Earth to repel that, in, that material is less. It's weaker now. So now those things come deeper into the atmosphere and they have a profound effect on our atmosphere. The atmosphere gets heated. The atmosphere gets full of electrons. So there's more electricity in the atmosphere. Anything happening in our atmosphere now is affected by those things. And these are all very clear calculations. And when they fire rockets up into the air, for example, they have to take all of that into consideration. That's why when you watch a launch, they get very specific about the, um, you know, um, what's the term peak? It's, a, it's the point where the acceleration through the atmosphere is hitting the most atmosphere. So it's a very dicey time for a rocket because the stresses are at their highest. And so they always talk about, okay, we're coming into that time now and everything looks good. Okay, all right, now we're passing through. Everything was okay. Nothing happened. Yay. Elon Musk sent one of his many rockets up with all those Starlink satellites in it because he does them in groups. So he puts a whole bunch in the rocket at once and then sends it up. They, that rocket and all those satellites were destroyed because of the forces in the atmosphere that they didn't think were going to be there because they were aware that the sun had, you know, some um, activity going on, which was nothing. They looked at that. They looked at the amount of, of proton flux coming into the, um, toward the earth. And they're like, okay, that, that's not a big deal. That's not, we don't have to scrub the launch because of that. So they didn't, but, the rocket was destroyed because there was too much friction in the atmosphere and they had not accounted for it. So even smart people, and I do count Elon Musk as a very smart person, are getting blindsided by this situation. And that was a big tell when that happened that, oh man, they're, they're like not keeping up with this because they're not given straight information that they need to do their jobs. So things are really moving. 
And the, the, the thing is that this affects everything. Another good example is every runway on the planet have numbers at the end of the runway. And those numbers correspond with the compass direction that the aircraft is on as they're coming in to land. These are critical pieces of information. The magnetic poles are moving so quickly, they have to keep going back to these airports and repainting the numbers. All right. And they have to do it so often now they have a schedule. And then they had to throw that away and do them even faster. Now, think about that. This is all over the world. Any airport that is has any kind of declination from true north has to repaint their runways. And nobody's talking about that? That, that, that right there is a mind blower because well, of the significance they, they of They don't that. talk about it because they, they don't want people to, to know more about it. So uh, you're saying that the magnetosphere is weakening, which is typical before a pole shift. And then you're saying right. that the magnetic, the magnetic uh, pole is, is accelerating its pace of movement from nine miles per year to 37 miles per year. We have a video to, to show that. Uh, can you tell me what is the, the cons- scientific consensus? You know, are, are, are scientists, do they even have a narrative? Do they just keep saying things like, we don't know what is happening? No, they do. They say, yes, we understand this and we've researched this. And um, our determination is that this takes um, years, decades, maybe even a hundred years. You mean a pole shift might take a hundred years, according to them? Correct. So they're being very vague and very like, you know, hey, don't worry about it. This is really not something that you need to be concerned about in your lifetime. And so um, for that reason, you know, nobody's getting the reality. They're just saying, hey, it's okay, go back to sleep, nothing to see here. Now in this video, this is from the um, European Space Agency, and um, they use these satellites called SWARM to measure the, um, the magnetic uh, information uh, on the Earth. And um, you can see on the left here in the 1800s, that line, that blue line is being drawn. Now watch, look how quickly it moves to 2019. Now, if you caught that, that's dramatic. That is very, very dramatic. Now realize that while this is happening, the exact same thing is happening in the South Pole. The Southern Magnetic Pole has already left the continent of Antarctica and is heading for the Indian Ocean. So you have now both poles are heading toward a new alignment because they're being, they're wanting to go there. Uh, in terms of all the influences that are happening. And another thing that the mainstream is saying that there's molten lobes of iron ore, iron, that in the core of the earth that are playing tug and war and they're causing um, that those magnetic poles to move around. That is not corroborated. That's, that's really interesting. Are, 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 they, are they suggesting that there's, uh, you know, that, that there's, this is moving, that, that uh, it's not static within the earth, these molten loads, somehow they're, yes. they're moving? Okay, interesting. Yes, yeah. And that they're separate. You know, there's one lobe over here, there's one lobe over there. Now, suddenly, this lobe is getting bigger, and this lobe is getting smaller. But they have no, uh, nothing to base that on. This is just sheer conjecture on their part. But this is, you know, they're, again, it's like dark energy. They're coming up with something to fit what everybody is seeing. And while that's important, you know, you can't have something happening out there without having some kind of solid explanation for people. The fact that they're coming up with explanations that they can't back up to save their life is, you know, in the end, not going to really work for them. So, um, but that so, is so, another so the way. The consensus, 
the scientific consensus is that uh, don't worry about it. Whatever is happening right now, uh, you know, it'll probably be hundred, you know, hundreds of years before we we see a conclusion of a pole shift. But okay, so alternative people are thinking, hey, this pole shift could happen imminently. Um, and I think in the last episode, we might have even mentioned the, the year 2023 as being a possible year of a pole shift. And how long does a right. pole shift take, possibly, or has it been measured in the past? And what happens as far as weather and maybe, uh, I don't know, tectonic plate movement or, or, or uh, you know, what could happen to our electronics, uh, to our society? What are some of the factors that people could? be aware of that that would uh, shift along with the poles. Right. So leading up to a pole shift, again, we're talking about the magnetic poles themselves moving, the magnetic sphere or magnetosphere itself weakening. So right now, if we had a solar flare of significant size, an X-class flare, something like the Carrington event that happened in, in the 1860s where the telegraph wires caught on fire, that would devastate the electrical grid worldwide. It would, it would devastate it on the sun-facing side first, but then the follow-on trips that all transformers would go through would bring the whole thing down anyway. And so that could happen before the pole shift very easily. And if you watch, they have all these satellites that are always looking at the sun. And this is the equipment that I and others use to look at the sun, watch it so that we can see when a flare erupts. And then we know to start looking around us when that flare hits, because it's not light. It's actual matter, it's particles. So it takes a day or so for those particles to reach the earth. So we start looking around, preparing, maybe, you know, if it's bad enough, you know, I'm going to unplug every piece of equipment I own and put it in a screen bag so that it protects it from that, um, that damage. But that's pretty minor stuff. And it's really, at the end of the day, doesn't really matter because if everything goes down because it's not protected, then your little computer is not going to work anyway. So that's something that could happen any day, all right? And one should be, you know, aware of that. The next thing is that um, the Earth's stability um, is based on a number of factors, one of which is the, the forces, you know, the physical forces in play when you've got a spinning orb. Okay, you know, the water, the bulge at the equator, all those things are are there in stasis because the Earth is spinning at 15,000 miles an hour. When those magnetic fields start to really get out of position, they're going to be more toward the equator and they're going to start having a profound effect on the, uh, the globe itself and the mantle and more specifically, parts of the mantle are going to start heating up and we're going to see more earthquakes and other phenomenon that are affected by changes in the Earth's mantle. So we're going to start seeing more of that kind of stuff. Volcanic activity? Volcanic activity, for sure. You get to a point where the Earth, the stresses inside the Earth want to bring it back into equilibrium. And so something is going to break and the, um, the entire Earth's rotation is going to shift 90 degrees. And I say 90 degrees because you look at the geological record and it always shows that. It always shows that there's a magnetic realignment of about 90 degrees. So that's the expectation based on that. I'm not pulling these numbers out of a hat. When the Earth does that, remember, We've got a body of water that's moving at 15,000 miles an hour. You change the orient, the rotation of the Earth suddenly, that water's going to go everywhere you don't want it to go. And that means it's going to inundate land uh, at great height. In other words, it's going to be a, a wave. Yeah, but I mean, it's a tsunami you can't even imagine. We're talking water that is miles high. 
So there so would probably be no no area of the Earth that isn't covered in water. Is that is that the um, estimation? That's not true because of some other factors. Now remember, there's a bulge at the center of the Earth. If you take the Earth and reorient it into a different spin, that bulge is going to be in a different location. That means that you're going to have what's called, um, uh, I'm going to forget what it's called. You're going to have areas of the earth where the land is going to come up out of the water. You're going to have areas of the earth where the land is going to go down in the ocean. Okay. So there's subsidence and elevation gain. And so the entire topography of the earth is going to be different. We don't know what that will be. I mean, you've got people out there who've drawn maps saying, okay, you know, my, my dream showed me this and, you know, so on and so forth, none of which is at all reliable. But you can see fault lines. You can see areas where, okay, if there was a, um, a real shaking, then it's likely that this particular fault line is going to break and therefore things are going to open up. If you go to Ethiopia in Africa, uh, I think it's the Rift Valley, You've got this crack that's widening all the time, every day. It's getting wider and wider and wider. And they're looking at that going, okay, at some point, it's going to reach the ocean. And then the ocean is just going to flow in. It's not going to stop. So that's an example where they can kind of look ahead and say, well, based on what we're seeing here, if that ridge that mountain ridge on the ocean gets breached then this entire valley is going to be an inland sea just like that very quickly okay so that's an, a, yeah. an example where you can prognosticate a little bit on what will happen before the, the, we started recording we were talking about is it even possible to prepare and, and the way how dramatic these changes are makes me think that even someone's best guess <laughs> could be wrong like someone might think oh i should go to the top of the himalayas because the the tsunamis right. won't re reach yeah. that high uh but that could end up being the worst place to be right yeah i mean um when you look at the direction that the north magnetic pole is taking Okay, it is heading in a direction, and um, that's going to be where the new North Pole is going to be. Because when they, when the, the forces start to realign, that point is not going to be where it is now in in uh, the Arctic Sea. It's going to be down um, more closer to the equator. But again, very difficult to to know where on the equator it's going to be. That's just going to be, a, I think, a fool's errand, really. But um, but even like, um, you know, when you look at coastline, look how many people are on the coastline of this country alone. Uh, and you get a pretty good idea of how devastating this is going to be. This is going to be, this is survivable. Everybody knows, the record shows clearly, it is survivable. But it is going to be... Um, not a lot of fun for those uh, who do survive. This is going to be a very difficult time. On top of that, when everything stops moving, it's going to get really cold. So unless you end up at the equator, you'll need to figure out a way to get toward the equator as quickly as possible so that you don't freeze to death. Many are going to freeze to death very quickly. Yeah, so um, the South Pole's moving towards the Indian Ocean, and you said that the that whatever is at the South Pole will end up being the North Pole. Uh, so, any estimations from the people you study of where they think the equator will be? Well, it's going to be based on um, the where the two poles end up. And then you're just going to draw a line between them, and that's going to be the new equator. Um, right now, right now, they're just simply taking the movement of the current magnetic poles and making suppositions as to, um, like, they they believe when the magnetic poles get to the 40th parallel, and so the Indian Ocean, that's going to be one pole, and then. Um, uh, around South America is going to be the other pole. And those um, 
locations are based on the fact that they're just watching them move in those locations and that they will be opposite each other. Uh, and that's where they're going to probably end up coming to rest. But again, it's it's very difficult to really know or to put any real stock into that. Again, I talk about this in ways that help. I want to help people understand what to do and how to prepare. But it, it's really like, you know, you could be telling them one thing and something else is going to happen and, and, you know, what they want to do. And on top of that, the resulting chaos um, leading up to this is going to be so dramatic that there's not a lot really anybody can do. Now, I'll put a caveat to that. And the one caveat is either very high altitude, and we're talking Colorado Rockies, Himalayas, or a boat. Those are the two. A boat? Possibly. A boat, yeah. Well, if we've got a mile, uh, miles high tsunamis, wouldn't a boat be a bad place to be? The tsunamis will be when they cover the land because they're going to they're going to pile up on land because they have nowhere else to go. But in the ocean, they won't. They don't pile up in the, out in the ocean. They just make a bump. And so when you look at any tsunami now, that's how it looks. You'll be out there, you know, ships, uh, Navy ships and things like that are at sea and they'll register a tsunami and the, there will be hardly any movement at all. So the middle of the ocean could be the best place to be. Yeah. Right. And how, how about uh, people who, who are building as many people are building underground bunkers? A good question. Um, I would put more stock in an underground bunker than I would in a mine shaft because anything close to the surface is going to fill with water. And so for that reason, it's not a place I'd want to be. But the, what we're talking about in terms of deep underground bases, those have, those have doors. Those have their, their water. So they have taken that into consideration and, and, and taken account. So this is why they're so important strategically for governments and why they build them at great expense because they are a way to escape this. And now, now we start getting into like, why are they there and who controls them? And is it in anybody's advantage to wrest that control from one group? <laughs> right. And hey, right? that brings us to the $500 million uh, investment in underground warfare that Trump, Trump's military uh, did it's like what what kind of war have they been fighting underground um also we have elon musk talking for the last few years about how important he thinks it is for humanity to uh have an alternative planet to live on yes. um, you know he he's really he's talking about how humanity needs to have more more people not less and that's another interesting thing that's completely anti-mainstream narrative. The mainstream narrative is, oh, that we're so overpopulated. He's like, no, like we're going to be really underpopulated. We really need to, people need to have as many kids as possible. Uh, so that's interesting that he's saying that. And But yeah, he's talking about how we need to uh, take small nuclear reactors and uranium uh, with us to create colonies on Mars specifically. Uh, so... Do you think that's part of maybe the deep state's plan or the White Hat's plan to, to take a group of people to colonize uh, Mars before this event happens? Um, that's not going to happen. I'm quite sure that's not going to happen for two reasons. One, um, he doesn't have sufficient time. Two, he's not, nobody's getting to Mars with a chemical-fueled rocket. That's just not going to happen. You talk to any space engineer and they'll tell you the same thing. It's just too damn far. So we've got to have nuclear propulsion technology or anti-gravitic propulsion technology. Now, do we have either of those? Well, yes, we, we built um, nuclear rocket engines back in the 80s. And that program went quite far down the road before it was defunded because it was too expensive and they weren't making enough progress. But then you have ion drive, which are 
really great for deep space travel, but not so good to accelerate, to get off a planet. What about um, the moon, colonizing the moon? Well, here's another problem, and this is true for both the moon and with Mars, is that they don't have a magnetosphere. Those are, those are planets that don't have, um, you know, that, that for whatever reason, their magnetospheres have gone away, whether they ever had them. And now I know, I'm quite sure Mars had a magnetosphere. Um, I haven't read too many papers on that particular subject, um, but I'm more convinced that Mars had one than I am that, that the moon had one. But um, so I see it very difficult to really um, make electricity. We're surrounded by electricity here. I mean, we are literally surrounded, but nobody, you know, has any idea how that's going to work on a planet that doesn't even have a magnetosphere at all, at all. So uh, this is all kind of new territory. I don't doubt for a second that all of that eventually is possible. I don't doubt that at all. But what is the timeline? And, and what do they have cooking that is going to really move us to a place where um, some of these issues can be overcome? Personally, I'm quite convinced that we do have anti-gravitic technology, and I'm quite convinced that that will solve two problems. One is creating atmosphere uh, to keep, um, um, you know, gamma radiation out of the uh, rocket or out of the spacecraft uh, so our astronauts don't get, you know, cooked out there. The second thing is that anti-gravitic technology is also time dilation. So when you fly in an anti-gravitic craft, you are, you are affecting time. And so the time it takes to go from point A to point B is going to be seriously less than it would be with any other mode of technology, which doesn't impact, um, you know, space-time at all. And so, um, you know, and, and again, I believe that we have anti-gravitic. It's just deep, dark project stuff. And nobody wants anybody to know this stuff except those who are in control. The elites have been buying properties in New Zealand. So apparently they think that's going to be an area that's... Uh safer for some reason uh, we've got the cheyenne mountain and the the uh, denver airport and these different places in the rockies where the uh, government has been building underground continuity of government places uh so any comment on uh, the different moves that governments and elites have been making to possibly prepare for this well you know um i'm i would say that um, this is an area that um, is definitely uh, is covered. When you look at continuity of govern government in particular, they account for natural disasters of all kinds. So this is just in line with that. It's just more intense and more severe. So um, I don't know, this may be a, a question for Patel Patriot as somebody who is very intimately knowledgeable about the whole uh, devolution and continuity of government and things like that, because I, for one, have to believe that this is a conversation that they are having, not not Patel, but the the military. They're having these conversations because it does matter to them. And again, who's going to win? You know, if the West wants to be the come out smelling like roses in all of this, then they better have control of those domes. They better have control over those bases. Otherwise, they're going to be in no better shape than anybody else. So getting control of those bases would be a very high priority. And that surprises me not at all that Trump would put a lot of resources into doing that. Um, but they're there and they've been there uh, for a long time. Some are very old and some are, are much newer. But, um, you know. Uh, that's the thing. It's like any good government would be like, yeah, we got to survive this because we got to continue to, you know, if for no other reason, then we have to help our citizens. And you're not going to help anybody if you don't have your situation 
um, you know, safe, locked down, under control, and 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 also bringing people into those bases. Are they available to regular people? Do they want to make them available to regular people? You know, these are all kind of important questions because when people do find out about this, and then they go to their leaders and they say, "Yeah, we want a room. <laughs> we want a reservation," and they're going to be told, "No, sorry." We don't have enough room for everybody. That's not going to be a, anything anybody wants to hear. Yeah, that, that would be one of the reasons why they might be keeping uh, the secret. If they did have information about future disaster, uh, you know, just, right. they're probably trying to figure out a method of who they want to survive, right, for the future right. society. Yeah. Um, now, a lot of people listening might be feeling fear and panic and worry and all these negative emotions. Um, and I just want to bring in the spiritual component of prophecy because, you know, in, in Christianity, you've got, uh, the tribulation, you know, in the book of revelations, you have the period of time when uh, a fourth of the population is supposed to die because of, uh, famine and, and wars. And, um, you also have a time when the, the, the sun goes dark or the, the moon goes blood red, where, uh, the stars fall from the heavens and, and the heavens open up like a scroll. So some interesting uh, words in the book of Revelation about the end times. And uh, this is a time in Christian uh, thought when uh, Satan is actually given the earth to pour out his wrath. And so a lot of bad things happen. But then uh, Christ comes and uh, he reigns for a thousand years. So, you know, um, I just thought I would throw that out there because uh, if people can't do anything to prepare, if they can't figure out where to go, what to do, uh, then it seems like we need to prepare emotionally, mentally, and spiritually if we can't prepare physically. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I think this is probably the most important discussion of all. And I'm glad you brought it up because, you know, for years, I've always been in the prepared uh, for the coming, you know, Armageddon kind of scenario. I didn't have the details I have now, but, you know, I, I read enough stuff, both prophecy and otherwise, to know that, man, this stuff, these catastrophes happen all the time. So, yeah, we should prepare. But it's really in that word that we need to look carefully. Because as I believe and as you believe, this is a temporal stay for us. This is not our home. We're visitors, spiritually speaking. And we are here because of reasons that only our subconscious or our higher spirit soul knows. We don't know it consciously, probably for good reason. So. Um, the fact that we are here and and we are coming into this understanding that these things are possible, then it begs the question, okay, well, how would you spend the rest of your time? It's like asking a cancer patient, well, what are you going to do now that you know? And you often find a very different attitude on the part of the cancer patient than they had before, whether it's a full-blown spiritual conversion or just simply a different way of looking at life, a more loving way of looking at life. All of that is good. And I would think most people would want to have a more loving, serving attitude toward their fellow human beings um, if they saw this coming and wanted to, you know, do right by what they know. Um, and, and however anybody wants to come to that place, great. It, it, that's all about being an individual and finding the path that works best for you. But I would highly recommend that one weave that into the process because yeah. um, it will have personal benefits as well as benefits for our fellow man. I mean, this crap that we're doing, you know, what we did in Ukraine in 2014 
um, you know, to destabilize that country at a time like this is the most inhuman thing this country could have ever done. And, yeah. I, and I just it makes me very sad when I see things like that, when we really should be doing the opposite, helping everybody as much as we can and ensuring, um, you know, people's uh, health and survival. Um, but that happens to not be the case. Yeah, there, there are two d- different reactions when you face start to face death. You know, you've got the kind of atheist, psychopathic uh, reaction, which is, my time's running out. I better just scramble and try to get the most out of the final moments. It's the most power and all that crap. And then the, you know, spiritual way is what you said, you know, embracing the present moment, and truly loving and serving and just letting go of all the petty material stuff. Uh, so it, I think it is important for us to face death and uh, we're, we're facing it individually as, and we're also as a collective consciousness facing death and facing evil, right? Because uh, yeah. we're, that's how you and I met is, is a concern that the general public uh, is not quite prepared mentally and emotionally for uh, to face the fact that there is great evil in the world, especially within the power structure, with, within the fabric of our society, and that when they realize that, it'll be overwhelming for them. Uh, so, but yeah, for some reason, uh, what happens when you do face evil, you become a better person, right? You, you don't become evil because you learn that evil exists. You actually, it's the opposite. Right. You, you become more uh, sensitive. Uh, and you become, you choose well, a side you and you reject, choose to be on the other yeah. side. Right. Yeah. When you, when you reject yeah. it, it's like, it's like some people do consider if you can't beat them, join them. And, and they do choose to, to join, uh, join that side. Uh, but uh, yeah, most good people would just choose the side that's natural for them. So yep. yeah, yeah, I know, yeah. I know. Go ahead, Jim. I was just going to say well, that. Just, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. There are two types of people in this world. There are those who serve others and there are those who serve themselves and then everything in between. If you're somebody who's struggling with that, then you're going to be more susceptible to serve yourself when given opportunity. So people should think about that a little bit. Who am I? What What is really my core? And what do I want that core to be? Right. Yeah, I think the last time we did a pole shift episode, there were some people who who emailed me and said, you know, this is scary stuff. You know, I hope you guys give us some hope. <laughs> and the thing is, we're all going to die, right? I mean, we could die tomorrow. We could die today. We could live our whole, you know, 100-year lifespan. They could come up with some kind of technology to extend our lives for hundreds of years. We just don't know when we're going to die. Uh, but we do know that we are going to die. And so, yeah, it, it almost seems silly when you kind of zoom out. It seems silly to just be obsessed with trying to prolong your own life, which is funny that that's what uh, a lot of these billionaires are, are desperately trying to do. Even even some yeah. of the, the ones that I, I kind of like, like Peter Thiel, you know, he's seems to be a pretty cool guy for the most part. But yeah, he's he's interested in taking blood from young people and transfusing it into his body to try to live longer. It's like, are you crazy? Just accept that you're going to die. That you're going to live, be so much happier in life. Once you accept that. Uh, but see, so. this is what people are so afraid of. When I talk to people and, and this kind of subject comes up and the question I ask is, well, um, do you think that, you know, you live beyond your physical body or do you think it just all goes black? And they're like, oh, no, it just goes black. Like not even thinking about it. Oh, yeah, no, it just goes black. That would scare the bejesus out of me if I thought I wasn't going to continue on. And, and, and why would there be any purpose in doing anything if you right. didn't have some kind of spiritual thing to look forward to? I mean, geez. So that's, I think, something that's all individual. That's every individual person has that their own struggle with that. And, and I think that's a good place to start. Right. I sent you a few resources that maybe yes. 
maybe we'll be able to dig into at some point, but uh, uh, one of them is about in the past, in the year like 536 or something like that, the sun did go dark and the moon did go blood red. And, and we, we did have these events in the past within, you know, within our written history where people actually wrote about what happened. And so, uh, and then there, there are prophecies that, that, uh, that line up to this 2023 uh, year, <laughs> biblical prophecies. So, yeah, I mean, I remember when you were, were considering whether we should even talk about this because you don't want to freak people out, uh, but our, our audience uh, are people who think differently and people, a lot of them who are very spiritual. And so, uh, you know, I think at this point with what we've lived through with the last couple of years, it's like, we need to be prepared for anything, right? Any kind of disclosure. Like, even when you were talking about, like you said, yeah, the, the earth is spinning at this many thousand miles per hour. And I was just like, well, maybe, <laughs> maybe it's something else. And, you know, may, maybe there's another way that the earth is. Cause I, I don't know. I just don't trust the institutions. Uh, so, so, you know, I think we do need to prepare ourselves mentally and emotionally and spiritually to just learn, learn a lot because uh, there's, yeah, yeah. there's going to be a lot of disclosures. It. Yeah. Like I'm really hoping, and I've seen some really good thoughtful emails come in. Um, when we talk about this, I'd like to see more. I think it's really important. If you've never um, made a comment on our shows, now would be a good time to do it because, you know, we really need to hear from people to find out what kind of conversation would be useful to you and matter to you and be something that you could do something with. I mean, if you just want to check out, of course, you know, everybody has their way. And um, I certainly wouldn't want anybody to do anything that wasn't in keeping with what they felt comfortable with. But um, I think this is a wonderful opportunity to bring this kind of conversation because we do have something to work with. It's, it is something physical we can look at and almost touch uh, in our discussion. So I'm hoping that people will see the value in that. Yeah. And I, I do want to bring up the fact that a lot of cults have embraced this doomsday ideology, like like fixating on it and just saying, oh, yeah, the world's going to end and we should all commit suicide, uh, <laughs> just stupid things like that. And, and like that's the opposite of Jim and I. You know, we're more like, hey, we don't know what we don't know. Right. We're, we're not fixating on, oh, yeah, 2023 is the year, guys. Get get your underground bunkers built. Uh, we really don't know. Um, and even if we did know, we wouldn't all want to commit suicide. You know, that, that's like an, an antithetical to antithetical to the philosophy of uh, choosing love. You know, it's really murdering, murdering yourself. And so, right. uh, yeah. yeah it, even though it is it is daunting to, to face to face that idea that humanity, you know, could face that kind of thing, uh, and a lot of people could die. But I just watched a whole documentary on World War II, and man, if I was alive at that time and I was watching just thousands of bombers and tanks move across continents and then dropping nuclear bombs on, on Japan. Uh, I would be like, oh my gosh, this is the end. And this has got to be it. <laughs> yeah. But no, we had like uh -huh. a prolonged period of relative peace and prosperity after that, you know? So, yep. so, uh, you know, you don't want to get too, too fixated in any one direction of thinking. So thanks for, for joining Jim. Uh, Jim will be joining me with Patel Patriot, hopefully in two weeks from now. And we're, we're going to dig into more of the current events stuff. But uh, I get a lot of emails that people love these conversations with Jim. So we're going to keep it going. God bless all you patriots. We'll see you next time. Welcome to a special episode of the Sean Morgan Report, talking uh, to Stacy about wellness. And a lot of people right now are concerned about their immunity. Mm -hmm. We've got uh, increased, uh, this is a record year for excess deaths for millennials. Uh, we've got a lot of people concerned about uh, spike proteins from the vaccinated. 
Uh, and we have had, uh, I was in bed for two weeks with uh, supposedly Omicron variant. And mm-hmm. um, I was trying to do everything I could to boost my immunity to recover. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, you know, Stacey, I'll just let you take it from here about what's in your toolkit for immunity. Yeah, we have we have quite a few um, uh, things that we use to help our family's immune system be at a level that is higher so that we don't, one, we don't walk in fear and, you know, we don't walk in, um, you know, having to, to deal with everything. Now, I will tell you, um, one of the things that we do do um, before we go out is, is uh, and there are studies, um, there's a place where you can go online and it's called pubmed.gov. And I'll create a link where you guys can go and check it out yourself. Um, you can go in, you can see the essential oils and, you know, spike protein. Um, you can see what essential oils and geranium or geranium and spike protein will do for you. Um, and you'll see that there are consistent studies right now because the molecules that are in the essential oils are so small and they are specific chemical compounds and specific molecules in the plant itself that helps, um, you know, do different things, whether it's repelling things. So geranium is very high um, in the ability to keep the cell protected so that there isn't anything that enters it. Right. So we can, we can, we can do blocking with um, essential oils. So geranium and lemon is a blend that I use for my family with a carrier oil of, of olive oil um, that helps just kind of block the cell. So um, when you roll it on, I roll it on here and here and on our wrists before we go out. um, And that stops you know, that, that keeps everything kind of from penetrating the cell. Um, now I also use pine because pine is known to, um, keep that, that spike protein from replicating. So I will do geranium, lemon, and pine in a blend. Um, and I'll just keep that in a roller and I'll just put that on, cook the whole family before we even go out, before we're around a bunch of people, before we go out. And we just know that, you know, that is what keeps us going. Um, so that's, so that's not so much about immunity, but also protection. Um, but immune systems and keeping our immune systems, our immune systems, 80% of them, about 70 to 80% of our immune system is created in our gut. Um, and that's why, um, you know, we're going to talk about toxin free home in, in future, in future, um, in future episodes, Um, but, you know, keeping our immune system, what we call above the wellness line, where again, we're not, you know, we're not picking up other things. We're not depleting our immune system by other things, um, so that we can fight off all the things that this is a natural immunity, right? We talk about a natural immunity. Um, that's where we're, we're working on. So, um, one of the things that I absolutely love and I have here is Niksha Red. Um, and this is a dense nutrient drink. Um, it is from... Uh, it's from made from a, um, from Ningxia wolfberry. It's a specific goji berry that Gary um, and his team did research on um, in regards to longevity. But it has high dense vitamin C, and it's very particular uh, for great eye health. But also, it does so many different things. Because I mean, if you think about our food supply and all of the manipulation with that, I mean, that's a whole other rabbit hole we can go down. Um, but having dense nutrition, you know. Um, will help our bodies and our cells just feel better. So our bodies react and everybody, it's funny because like here's all the different stories of people that have been using Nisha Red and what it does for their body. Usually it's um, it's impactful energy. Um, it is, uh, it, it makes them feel better. It makes them sleep better. Um, and so it's, it's really interesting to see all the huge benefits of it. it. It's a drink that's high in vitamin C and it's high in minerals and, and vitamins. Um, so it's gonna, it's, it's great. It also has a, a source of a zinc, um, which we know is really important, um, when we're dealing with all those things. So my kids are small. Uh, well, they, when they were small, they didn't take capsules or anything like that. So getting some, you know, some dense nutrition and then also adding, um, I'll add like thieves. Which we'll and talk and, about and thieves. so kids don't like to take medicine, right? They don't no, like to take they, vitamins, but, but this right? stuff tastes good, right? How do yeah. you describe the taste? It tastes like berries. It tastes like berries. When I first got started, I was like, oh, it's 
bread it's gonna hold it's gonna taste like tomato no it's not it tastes like berries it's very very good um and it's one of those things that you just you, you you kind of crave because it again has that dense vitamin c and that dense nutrition for the cells so um it's really it's a really nice drink so can you yeah, tell the story have- of tibet or wherever the region is uh, the type of people that, that have drank this traditionally and what their health is like Ningxia. Okay. So Gary did a ton of research on longevity when he was first starting out and the Ningxia wolfberry in particular, it's a very specific type of goji berry. So it's not like a, like a, a regular goji berry. It's a very specific one to the region. Um, it's at the base of the Himalayas and these people had, were living long lives. These, these, um, people were, uh, farmers and they were out working in the field at the, you know, a hundred <laughs> and they were living to 130, 140, and they didn't have glasses and they didn't need help. They were working in the farm. They were, they had active, um, active lives. They have active sex lives. They, they were, you know, they were fully functional people. They weren't, you know, what we would normally say of, you know, getting older or, you know, and um, so that, I thought was really, it's, there's a lot of vitality to it um, because of the water that comes off the Himalayas and, and into this Ningxia region um, where they have this very specific berry. It's not a juice. It's actually from the whole, um, the whole, um, it's a, it's a slurry. It's like a puree. Then. It's a puree. Yes. It's a puree. And then you've got, um, additional essential oils that are blended with it to make it even better. Um, so it's got, um, and it has, you know, has, has the facts and everything. And it's, it's the equivalent of, we've got, um, some pieces. It's the equivalent of, you know, having, you know, one or two ounces of, of Nisha is, you know, having, uh, you know, 24 pounds of strawberry. I mean, it's just like this huge, dense, nutritious food. Um, strawberry. So what would be like a normal routine, uh, like drink a shot of it a day or something like that? Yeah. We'd normally do one to two ounces a day. Um, and so like this bottle is 25 ounces. Um, and so it comes in a two bottle pack. Um, and then it, it also has sachets. So it's great for traveling. So just my husband travels a ton. So we get these and, um, you know, you can put this in the freezer and the kids like slushies, you know, it's just, it's a great snack. Um, but yeah, so, and then when, you know, like my kids, they don't take capsules. So I'll do this and I'll do a couple of shots of thieves and they'll just drink it. And that's just part of, they know that's part of their routine that they do every day. Um, so yeah. What is thieves? So thieves is, um, young living's blend. That is kind of a cornerstone product that they have. Um, thieves is based on the story of the thieves that went into the houses, um, of the plague, um, people that died of the plague and they were going in and they were, they were taking all of their belongings. Um, and they were actually ex spice traders. They knew what the spices did. Um, they knew what the, um, what the, what the components and the molecules in there for the protection. And so they would put their bodies, they would wipe the spices on their bodies and they would go in and they would take, and they wouldn't get sick. They wouldn't get the plague. And so they were caught and they for, for a lighter sentence, they had to give up this recipe. So this recipe is clove. It is um, a eucalyptus radiata. Um, it is uh, lemon. And um, my goodness, I've had it as uh, cinnamon bark. And so it's absolutely, yeah. it's absolutely amazing. It smells like Christmas um, and it's an integral part. We've got a full line of like our, th- our thieves household cleaner. It's the only cleaner I use in my home. Um, and so it's, it, it's, it's a fabulous cleaner and it smells amazing and it's super concentrated. So I get a bottle lasts a year. Um, and then, you know, you've got hand soap and, and foaming, you know, like laundry detergent and dish soap. And so there's so this, all these different like, products have this formula with the cinnamon right. bark and the clove yeah. and the lemon and all these yeah. things. And yeah. these, Toothpaste. these are mm-hmm. really powerful, uh, you know, constituents here yeah. that like antibacterial and, right. and those types of qualities. Yeah. Uh, I have an antidote story about a friend who was a teacher. She was a home ec teacher and she was diffusing thieves in her classroom. And in the next classroom over was the science and they were trying to grow the petri dishes with bacteria. And it was the first time that they weren't able to grow bacteria in their petri dishes. And they were talking in the lounge and they, and she said, ah, 
I bet I know what's going on. So she stopped diffusing and then they were able to grow the bacteria in the dishes. So just little anecdotal stories about things like that. Um, So can you imagine if you're infusing that in your house and you're breathing that in and it's going in your lungs, it's going to be probably pretty cleansing. It's very cleansing. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So what what are some of the ways that you use it? Uh, You use the Thieves Essential Oils, like step by step. It's in my diffuser every single day. It's in my diffusers in the center of my home um, with my kitchen and kind of where I'm sitting over here. Um, And so everybody that walks through the house, everybody during the day gets a little dose (laughs) of thieves, right? Um, And so I'm diffusing it every single day. And then I've switched out all of our home personal care products uh, for thieves uh, products. So again, I clean with it. I am brushing my teeth with it. Um, I'm washing my hair. Um, you know, I'm doing my dishes and doing my laundry detergent, you know, um, some of the, you know, again, we'll talk about toxins, um, uh, you know, later. Um, but one of the biggest things that we can do for our families and for ourselves is getting ditching the dryer sheets. Um, those, you don't ever think about those types of toxins, but you know, we're wearing clothes every single day. We're sleeping on our, on our, you know, sheets every single day. And we're having all of that contact. So when you have, you know, skin issues and things like that, it's that's direct, you know, contact kind of like dermatitis that you might get or rashes or things like that. Um, just from, from that. What if someone doesn't have a diffuser and they want to use thieves in a different way? Let's say, let's say they have a flu or something and mm-hmm. they just want to boost their immunity. Yeah. Uh, what are some ways that they could get the thieves constituents into their body? So um, there's a couple of different ways, you know, you can, you could put it in your hand and you can do it once, so you can inhale that way. Uh, but you can also, um, I always put it with the carrier, um, especially with younger kids is, is it can be a, a, the cinnamon and the clove can tend to be a hot oil in there. And so, um, you know, it works great diluted. Um, I will dilute it and I'll put it in a roller, um, or I'll just take a little cup and I'll put some thieves in it and I'll put a little bit of oil and I'll put it together and I'll rub it on my feet. Um, you can rub it along your spine. Um, you can rub it along your pulse points, um, or you can put it in veggie caps. So, um, I just go into Amazon and buy veggie caps, um, that are double zeros and I'll fill thieves with it. And, um, I'll just take it. Now, another another um, product I wanted to talk to you about was Inner Defense. We also have, this is essentially, this is this little here. There we go. There we go. Um, is Inner Defense. And this is actually kind of like a thieves already made. So you've got a little capsule that has essential oils in it. And if you're not the DIY type person, you can just get Inner Defense and just take it. So that's another thing that we do. What are um, the again, ingredients of inner defense it's, it's thieves and carrier yeah. oil yeah it's thieves um which is the clove um lemon um eucalyptus rosemary and cinnamon um and then it's got um let's see oregano and thyme so and lemongrass mm. so it's got that you know oregano thyme and lemongrass have huge molecules that are antibacterial antiviral um, in nature um so these are going to be you know, again, you know, anything that you can take um, kind of as a preventative, again, this is going to go through your digestive system. Um, putting, using it topically is is always going to get in your body um, a little bit faster. If you can do a drop under your tongue, that's always good too. Um, you know, but if you're doing like, like uh, Charles will go traveling. And so he will, um, you know, he'll take his inner defense a couple of days before he used to, he, you know, he was gone usually on a plane traveling, um, you know, twice, two, two weeks out of the month. Um, and he would always, he would always like clockwork, get sinus infections twice a year. And we found out a protocol where he just doesn't do that anymore. And that is by keeping his immune system high. And, um, Another things, another thing that he uses, which comes with the, the bundle that we're going to talk about, which is the thieves bundle, which has some thieves stuff in it, is the hand sanitizer. 
So everybody was using this hand sanitizer. Yeah, my hand wife sanitizer. says that's the best smelling hand sanitizer oh, she gosh. ever used. It's amazing. And the thing is, is it's not drying. It's actually, I've, I've seen medical professionals that prefer this because the other stuff doesn't, it, the other stuff dries out their hands and cracks their hands. And right, so like this is very moisturizing, very nourishing, and it doesn't have the gross, um, you know, chemicals or anything like that, that other ones do on the market. Um, and then we also have thief spray. So it's a highly concentrated little spray that you can use. Like if you're in a plane or if you're in a bathroom, you know, kind of spray it around that sort of thing. Um, so I was just traveling and like, I, I, I take my, um, diffuser with me. And so I would diffuse, I would, we would get in the room and set up my diffuser. I'd put some drops of thieves in the, in the diffuser and we'd leave. And then by the time we came back, you know, you didn't have that harsh chemical smell of all the chemical cleaners that they use in the, in, in hotel rooms and things like that. So just little tips right. and tricks that we've adapted um, to just really kind of keep our bodies going and our immune system high. So. Yeah. I remember I used to be really immunocompromised because uh, <laughs> I had Lyme's disease and, and then that led to having allergies and all this stuff. And I was sleeping in a room that I think had mold in it. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those things like where you're sleeping and you're breathing that air all the time. Uh, it can really start to affect you. And it, it could be something that people don't even know if they have a right. source of mold in, in the area where they sleep or live. And right. so to just put out the, that thieves, those, those different natural mm-hmm. herbs that, that kill the, the bad stuff in the air, yeah. Uh, that, that's, that could really change someone's health, I imagine. Um, yeah. so, yeah. and especially with the Ningxia, we've, we've seen so many, I mean, I've heard so many stories, um, about recovery with, with Ningxia. Again, people that are going different through different challenges, people that are going through, you know, chemotherapy and want their energy back and things like that. This is, you know, it, it, it touches everything. It touches everything. So, um, this is, again, this is, this is part of my red pill moment and eight, eight and a half years ago was starting with young living was to really kind of understand, um, truth. Just going and, back to nature, just, just realizing that a lot of the stuff that's on the shelves in the stores is toxic yeah. for you. And, and yeah. the stuff in your garden is really good for you. And the cool thing about essential oils is it's so concentrated. So instead of having to get like a pound of rosemary and a, and a pound of, right. uh, of all these different herbs. You can just take that little inner defense that has all, all those herbs, you know, right. And it's right super, super it's super simple. I mean, these, are, you know, the Egyptians were using thousands of years. I mean, there was a reason why this country was founded was the spices, right. Um, and it wasn't just to make our food taste good. It was because of the medicinal qualities. Um, and so I think that was, that's really interesting is, is that that's part of our history. That's part of our legacy, um, that Gary brought back into, you know, tw- almost 30 years ago, brought back into, you know, our realm of, of knowledge and brought that back. And, um, it's just, it's been an amazing journey to understand all the things that he knew, um, and all the things that he was working towards on just, you know, helping everybody, um, remember, um, what these molecules do for our body. And so, absolutely. Yeah. The, the founder of young living, uh, Gary Young has, has a really cool story. So people can do their research on that. Yeah. Uh, we're going to put links down below. People can give these three products that we talked about a try. And if people want to talk to Stacy about mm-hmm. uh, other things to put in their health toolkit for their family, yeah. uh, then they can reach out to her. We're going to put Stacy's email below. Yeah. Thank you so much, Stacy. Appreciate it. And we'll talk to you next week about oh, those nasty chemicals that are in our cabinets that we need to get rid of. Yes. All right. Thank you. Okay.